the Law of Equivalent Exchange. This is Tim in Tokyo with Patrick in Kumamoto. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, let's say fair to Midland. <laughs> I, I automatically say great, but, uh, <laughs> but the truth is somewhere between fair and Midland. <laughs> uh, I am... I am feeling super swamped. I mean, starting with today, within seven days, I have a total of five podcast recordings scheduled. Oh, man. <laughs> the first one was this morning for Deconstructing Comics. Um, next week, I have two halves of a Deconstructing Comics episode, and then what will probably be at least part of another one and then a uh, to the bat poles episode. So, so here I am, like debating whether I should take the plunge and start a Patreon for uh, retro Japanese comics or retro comics in general. And because I'm like, can I keep up the pace? <laughs> and here <laughs> you are, like keeping this crazy pace. Well, yeah, but, yeah. My my problem is that I'm. In terms of in terms of stuff that really brings in income, I'm underemployed. I'm having kind of a problem there. But um, so please give to the Patreon for for deconstructing comics. It supports this and deconstructing comics and to the bat pulls. So uh, Patreon.com/slash/deconcomics. Um, because I I kept I continued to say I want this to be my kind of main job if if it's ever possible. Um, for some reason, I don't give up. So. <laughs> well, that's that's one thing that I respect about about you, and it kind of it's inspiration for me because, like, I've been doing fanzines for twenty years, and uh, I usually just make enough to put out the next fanzine. That's mm -hmm. usually, you know, like I, my my basic like challenge I set for myself is not to go into the red, like to always make sure I'm in the black. Mm. And so if I'm actually like doing the fanzine at an event, I will put in all kinds of factors. Like where's my table? Am I near the main route where I get, you know, mm. where people will walk by mm -hmm. and notice any signage I, I will have, or if I'm stuck, like if it's uh, the good old uh, big site in Tokyo in the age mm -hmm. of Tokyo, they have like an eastern hall and a western hall, and the eastern hall is all is the big hall, and it's got all the main stuff. And then the western hall is uh, more minor stuff; it gets less traffic. Usually, what people do is they go to the eastern hall, and they try to get all the zines, like the popular zines, before they sell out. And so, after making their way through that huge hall, they come over to the west hall exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, I'll get this. And with an I'll empty wallet. That. That's right. So I, I, and then they usually put like the American comics uh, people uh, in like they'll, it'll go back and forth. It'll be East one year, West another year. It'll, you know, so mm -hmm. then I'll decide I'm only going to make like 30 issues this time. I'm only going to print. 30 issues or whatever 30 copies 30 copies yeah yeah i i remember i remember tokyo big site you know with the pandemic going on there's been nothing going on out there i don't think um 
or maybe there's there's been some kind of event where everybody's wearing a mask. I don't know, but yeah, I think they've pretty much like gone online for those mm-hmm. events. Yeah, uh, and I'm not sure how successful either. Yeah, and for Americans listening in America who may not know, we're way behind you on on vaccinations here. So, and it's been kind of surging in Tokyo. What's uh, this thing happened in the news where uh, government employees, including mayors of certain uh, towns, uh, they took it upon themselves to in- have themselves injected with uh, vaccines that people didn't show up for their appointment, like leftover ones before they went bad. Mm-hmm. And there was all kinds of stink about it. Mm. Uh and I think the stink is mostly due to the fact that they try to cover it up. Uh, but I think, for in my case, I think they're, if you're at the, the city hall, you have to deal with hundreds of people a day. I think they should have been inoculated anyway. You know, I, uh, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. So Yeah, I mean, I think in the States they said if you got some, some vaccine and there's nobody else there who's, like supposed to be getting it, um, you know, use it somehow because it's going to go bad, and that's it's not helping anybody. So, yeah, just like uh, Neville, uh, the last man on Earth. You know, I am legend. You know, mm. <laughs> he's like, I've got all this vaccine, <laughs> and so he, you know, he inoculates himself, and then he's the last normal person <laughs> left alive. So you never know; the life you save may be your own. <laughs> Okay, so we are on chapter 15, Fulmetal Heart, as titled in the Viz edition. Um, and picking up where we left off uh, the confrontation between Ed and Al, where Al has said, you know, I didn't ask for this body. I think he's repeating himself. Well, yeah, because it's the beginning of the next episode coming out a month later, so... Well, no, no. I mean, I think like he's yelling it at the end of the last episode, mm-hmm. and he's saying it again in more hushed, shaky tones at the beginning of this. And so, you uh, know, it's it's a common uh, mode of expression. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see. When to make a point, you know, mm-hmm. the point's still in the air, yeah, and it's kind of. Nailing, nailing the point home that it's not just a emotional outburst. It's really like coming from a strong, uh, you know, a strong place in uh, in your mind. Um, and so Al explains uh, what he's been thinking and what he thinks Ed had been afraid to tell him that time in the previous volume um, that uh, maybe he was created artificially. Uh, he says, well, big brother, can you prove that a person named Alphonse Elric really existed? Isn't it possible that Winry granny and everyone else is lying to me? Um, and, you know, when he mentions the thing that Ed had been afraid to tell him, we see Winry uh, and she's got a little exclamation point coming from her. Uh, so that strikes a chord with her. Ed slams both fists down on his food tray 
and says, oh, is that what you've keep, been keeping all bottled up this whole time? Is that what you wanted to tell me? I see. And then he just quietly walks out. Well, I mean, there's already a lot to unpack, I think, right yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, commenting on, like, what is the nature of memory? What is the nature of existence? Uh, it's it's not a it's not an incredibly important point because it's uh, it's he's mostly talking about was he created like mm-hmm. by his brother basically was he was he are all his memories and everything fabricated uh, is he who he really is or does did he ever exist at all um, but. So he's talking about his specific situation, but I think that this is something that we can use to think about, like, what is it that makes us who we are? You know, is it, is it the actual physical experiences in our bodies that, uh, is that part, is that an important part of, uh, who we are? Or is it just what we remember, uh, of what we have done or, or what we recognize in ourselves? Uh, I would argue that, there is something to the physicality of ourselves. Like, uh, I mean, there's no, I, I like a muscle memory kind of thing. And the reason that I feel strongly about this is because um, uh, in 2015, uh, I was told that my biological father, uh, in addition to suffering dementia, also uh, was going through, like he had uh, lymphomatic cancer. Hmm. And of course, because of the dementia aspect and not really having a, like a strong will, it would be very difficult for him to have, I think, endured uh, any kind of strong cancer treatments. Hmm. So uh, basically the focus was to keep him as comfortable as possible till the end. But of course I realized I didn't have a lot of time to spend with him. So I immediately uh, made plans to go back to the States and um, went to see him. And uh, I found out like uh, my wife did a very nice thing for him. And that was to make a photo album with us and our daughter that he could look at every day. And apparently he like took it everywhere with him and he was showing people and bragging, probably (laughs) showed the same photo to the same people, like, you know, several Mm -hmm. times a day. It's very possible. Uh, But I'm glad that was uh, available to him. So I'm always going to appreciate that. But my, my point is, is that there were moments where he was definitely himself with his great sense of humor and uh, you know, his, uh, his, wit and his you know great smile and then there was times where it was obvious that he was kind of he'd gone somewhere Mm. and he was kind of floating but in those moments even when we hugged okay i felt the same hug that i knew you know Mm -hmm. it's uh so i i call it muscle memory but i mean i feel like there's it's a lot more to just the memories that we have access to. I think there's a physicality to our experience. Uh, I, I, and that, you know, kind of for me, I already had that kind of idea and that for me kind of nailed it home. So uh, 
bringing it back to this comic, <laughs> um, <laughs> Al himself, he is going through new experiences in this metal body. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like how much of those experiences will he continue to uh, catalog as his own, you know, or, or will he feel some distance from it because he didn't actually feel like it in his muscles and bones and blood, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a little bit different, you know, it's, it's a situation that couldn't exist in real life exactly this way, but uh, what Al is going through kind of reminds me of what I've heard about, you know, people who, you know, lose the ability to walk or have to uh, have a prosthesis or something, and they don't feel like they're they're whole anymore. Um, so, and, and, you know, depending on how it happened, they might blame someone else for ending up that way. So there is an, an analogy to real life here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, you know, it's, um, it's something that it's just one of those things that like, after you finish reading it, you want to have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like by go each chapter, do a podcast. That's right. I, I wonder who's doing that. I don't know. You know? We'll have to have to do, do, do a search. Um, so Winry comes up with this big wrench and, wax owl with it now you wouldn't do that to someone who is real like a real <laughs> regular human uh but he's just a suit of armor and it won't hurt him um yeah but she's in, in, in a regular in a regular movie or tv show this would be the sweet character suddenly gives you a big ass slap across the face hmm. yeah, yeah 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 not not with a wrench then it would be a murder scene that's right uh, <laughs> that's right because a slap isn't gonna work with al no just hurt she just hurt herself then that's right yeah like when brosh tried to punch him so uh but she's angry and crying and calls him an idiot and says you don't have any idea how ed feels do you the thing that ed was too afraid to talk to you about was whether you blame him for what happened what what i like about how this is the the, the idiot uh panel is expressed in japanese it's not just baka it's bakatin and uh, I love bakatin as a word. It's <laughs> I haven't like, heard that bakatin. Kono bakatin ga. You know, it's like uh, bakatin is. It's the baka is there, but it's also there's a little bit of familiarity. Uh, familiarity. There's, uh, you know, there's some affection kind of mixed mm, in a little bit. You I know. See. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can Im- imagine things that people might say where they're angry but also sort of just kind of a slight tease in it at the same time quite affectionate feeling well yeah i mean i think it's you know anger for towards someone that you care about i think that's what's being expressed in that word mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm, i see um so as as you and i were talking about before we started recording now we really know why Winry needed to be here. And, you know, all of Arakawa's machinations, you know, put her in just the right place at the right time. Well, and we also know why the last chapter uh, was titled uh, The Feelings of, a, of an yeah, Only Child. An only Child's Feelings, uh-huh. Uh, because, obviously, she knows the 
importance, the value of having siblings because she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, I know exactly because like you know, we talked about before, I'm an only child. And uh, whenever, whenever I've been in a relationship with somebody who has siblings or a big family, when for me, it was just me and my parents. We were in Georgia. Well, the whole rest of the clan was in Missouri and Texas, and they had a lot more uh, interaction. Hmm. Uh, so felt very isolated mm-hmm. and very much an only child. So uh, when I hear like my wife talk about her big sister and the problems they had, I'm like, I wish I had those problems <laughs> when I was a kid. I would have loved to have those problems when I was a kid. And of course, you mm-hmm. know, it's she feels the same way. Like, oh man, I wish I was an only child. And so having somebody in your life that has an experience like opposite of yours this is why this is why we need it this is why we need windry mm-hmm. is uh for a different perspective because we kind of get lost in our own perspectives and uh here's somebody who we care about who we who we might actually listen to suddenly you know throwing a wrench against our head so yeah so then we have a page of flashback uh to just after uh, the the loss of Al's body and Ed's arm and leg, and Ed is lying in a hospital bed with Granny and Winry there, and he's saying it's his fault that Al got stuck with that body, and he probably probably blames Ed, and Granny and Winry are just saying, you know, he he wouldn't blame you. Why don't you just ask him? But he says, I'm too afraid to ask him. That's why I have to get him back to normal as soon as possible. So we see, you know, not just, you know, it'd be nice to, you know, we'd like to have our full bodies back, but it's this guilt that's driving Ed to uh, get it done as soon as possible. That's right. And you can see how upset she is. And uh, because she continues to beat him with a wrench. (laughs) And it's... Not supposed to be humorous. And even with sound effects, sound effects tend to ramp up either the humor or the horror. It's, mm. you know, in most, like most usage, usages of uh, sound effects, but not always with Japanese comics, especially like girls' comics. They're used to express a really wide variety of things. But in this, it's like, I can hear the calm. <laughs> I can hear the... Uh, the sounds as because the face her face which is kind of hidden in the panel you can really see the pain there and the anger mm-hmm. well speaking of sound effects I'm I'm not sure Viz nails it so the, when she first hits him it's clang okay that works for me but then the, on the top of the next page the next time it's bonk this that's not the sound of a wrench hitting a suit of armor. No, that's a wooden dull wooden sound, not a metallic sound. Yeah. Uh, and then after the flashback we have bang 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 which also doesn't quite work and then bang clang clang. I think clang they should have just stuck with clang maybe. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, but I think the first sound effect, I don't think Clang does it because it's uh, an atypical sound effect is used in the Japanese. It's Guang, mm. which is not a, a typical like a sound effect. 
uh, and it kind of expresses the the heaviness mm. of the hit as well as expressing the hollowness of the hit. Hmm. So, so maybe uh, something like Klong is what comes to my mind. That's good. That's it's a, good. It's an unusual one, but that's I think good. it fits. I yeah. would even go with I would even go with maybe uh making it an aspirated sound instead of clong. I'd even glong or glang or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like to get the to get the original aspirated sound part in there. Now my question about this scene, just from a creator standpoint, I wonder why the first time she hits him, it's off panel. You know, we've got uh, Hughes and Ross and Brosh reacting uh, and her word balloon, you idiot, and the sound effect. We don't see her actually hit him the first time. That is such a great uh, question as to why they're showing us the reaction. And it's very, you know, it's very cinematic uh, choice in a way. Um I don't have a good answer for you, but I think mm. it's a great question. I think uh, it's possibly like we don't need to see we don't need to see the moment of violence, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm wondering if this is. Um, I think there's been an example in the past of this in this comic already, where we don't see that moment. Mm. Yeah, and and it's possible. And this is just pure conjecture that uh, by not showing the moment of violence it takes away any pleasure that a fan might get from seeing a violent action moment Mm, yeah it could come off as humorous or 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 horror like you said sound, sound effects and violence tend to be either humorous or scary that's right so i think it would yeah, it might take away from the from the moment by it's it's like okay if you have uh, oh my god I'm I'm blanking on the name the guy who did uh, preacher and the boys oh um, there's one of those British guys who I or I guess he's Irish isn't he that I get Garth, the, the, all their names Annis. mixed up Garth Ennis yeah Garth Ennis so Garth Ennis makes these ultra violent comics uh-huh. and. Uh, if you read through the whole thing after like basically subjecting yourself to <laughs> to to That's a good loads word. of excessive sex and violence it it does balance out at the end where you know that kind of semi revulsion you feel is earned and so it has a definite place in that story and i have to always have to get to the end before i go oh you know, otherwise I'm like, am I, should I be enjoying this? Because I don't feel like <laughs> I should be enjoying this. So, uh, you know, like that's the problem with that. When you make it all very visceral and showy is that you, the stuff that you're maybe commenting on is actually also, you know, becomes part of the problem, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking too, though, maybe a, a part of the reason that we don't see it is because, you know, Al is very unusual, and you know, as we were saying, um, if if he were a flesh and blood person, she would slap him. Um, but seeing someone hit anyone with a wrench, even if it doesn't actually hurt them, 
is it doesn't quite it doesn't express what it's supposed to express in this comic. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, we're definitely going to look at Winry, you know, we're going to, that image is going to be burned in our head of her <laughs> knocking the crap out of, uh, of Al. Uh-huh. But there's another thing though, is like, what if like, she really doesn't, you know, if she really, even though that she took a huge whack, perhaps it might not have really affected him that much. And mm. that itself does, you know, is kind of a, you know what I mean? Like she could hit it with all her force and then he might not even move. It might just like glance off. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, like after the flashback where she's hitting him, bang, 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 clang, clang, but he's just sitting there. Yeah. But we can see that by that time, a lot of her anger has been worked out and she's still yeah. kind of beating her message into him, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and she says, what idiot would risk his own life to create a fake younger brother? And then, kind of backing up your point, all you guys have is each other. That's right, that's right. So she commands him to run out and, you know, after Ed, who's gone out on the roof. And when when Al gets there, Ed starts talking about uh, wanting to spar again. My body feels kind of out of shape because we haven't sparred in a while. And Al, huh? What are you talking about? Your wounds haven't (laughs) even healed yet. But, you know, Ed comes after him. Uh, You know, Al is not really fighting, but Ed is. And then Ed, I don't know where he got it. He has this bed sheet. Or there's some laundry on the roof. Yeah, there's laundry on the roof. Um, So he grabs a bed sheet from there, throws it over Al's head, and then knocks him over and says, I win. Hey, hey, that's Mm -hmm. the first time I ever beat Al. Al says, you cheated. Shut up. A win is a win. And then they really get to talking um, and, you know, talking about stuff from the past, like, you know, fights that they had before and who won and you know, the last one is interesting. Of course, you know they're kids and they're talking about when they were younger, but this idea <laughs> of fighting over who would marry Winry. <laughs> <laughs> and then she turns them both down. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won that one too, but we both got dumped. That's right. Yeah, the point is, is like, would I make up all those stories? You know, mm-hmm. it's, do, you, do you really believe that all those, all those memories are, are made up? Because he's, in that case, he would be talking not about just himself. He was talking about a big chunk of his brother's life uh, that he's questioned the reality of, basically, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, this, it's kind of a, the violence of the, the wrench, the violence of a slap, the violence of this, uh, this fight, getting out of the way before talking can happen is... is pretty damn realistic you know mm-hmm. um it's just there's got to be like a, a, a like a cathartic gah, you know mm-hmm. <laughs> explosion of emotion before you can actually calm down and uh talk about the this deep stuff especially for i won't say they're like uh ed is uber masculine but he's definitely got a lot of the uh the hang-ups that uh that guys often have you know like uh especially kids mm-hmm. you know like uh, you like her no i don't you know like, 
you know, just not being honest with his feelings is kind of a, you know, Mm -hmm. a typical thing. He's the grand old man of Marvel. Stan Lee was involved in the creation of some of the world's favorite comics characters like Spider-Man, Iron Man, Thor, and the Hulk. But he didn't create them on his own. Artists like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko were also instrumental in the creation of these characters, but many fans of the Marvel movies don't even know their names. Did Stan take too much credit by design? Or was he just given the credit because he's more media-friendly? Millions of words have been written about Lee, both to praise him and disparage him. What are the books about Lee that you should read? On Deconstructing Comics, we're going to screen the books about Lee so you don't have to. Join us, True Believer, as we read as many books about Stan Lee as we can stand, and compare them to each other. Find Deconstructing Comics in your favorite podcast app, Excelsior. Um, so yeah, they they talk through it, and and Al realizes you know, he was he was uh, a bit foolish, you know, following up on on what Barry the Butcher got him to thinking. Uh, it doesn't really make sense to, for him to to have said in the past that he really wants to get his original body back. And are you telling me that what you felt then was fake too? No, it wasn't fake. Um, so they make up and uh, Hughes and Winry are watching them. And she says, Mr. Hughes, I guess there are some things that you have to say out loud to understand. That that page there when they say, let's, you know, let's, become even stronger mm-hmm. and uh of course when we look at the title of this particular chapter is talking about what did you say full metal full heart. metal heart and i think that's also what they're talking about not just uh stronger fighters but you know stronger mentally emotionally in that way and windry's point perfectly sums that up is that there's you got to talk stuff out. Otherwise you get stuck in your head mm-hmm. and you can like, they were both stuck in their own heads. One is imagining that, Oh, my brother must hate me. Mm-hmm. And the other is imagining that, uh, you know, my brother has his own existence. Me up, <laughs> yeah. uh, constructed me and then lied to me. Yeah. So, the, and this is something that an only child knows is that, uh, I don't have like, uh, I don't have somebody so close to me that there's a lot of nonverbal communication going on. I have to explain myself. Like, uh, this is funny. This happens, uh, like, in America, I had a lot of Japanese uh, overseas, uh, what do you call it, exchange student friends. And we would play a game called uh, Daihinmin, but other areas in Japan called it Daifugo. And I I translated as rich man, poor man. Oh, I know this card game. I love this game. That, I love this game. It's a game that has to have been made up by middle schoolers because it, it <laughs> you know, the rules are so convoluted. Well, this is the thing. So every time you have people from like different areas of Japan, you have to agree on what the rules are going to be, you know? <laughs> so like our our jack's going to mean reverse our eight's going to be an automatic uh, end of the round. You know, you have to go through all these this rule rigmarole first mm-hmm. and establish the boundaries. And watching that made me, even before I'd even come to Japan, uh, made me see that there are different cultures uh, mm-hmm. within Japan. There's different lifestyles, different... It seems very homogenized, and the image and the, uh, the PR 
is that Japan is a very homogenous, but there's also different, definitely like pockets of culture、mm-hmm. and people from different areas. They have to, they have to communicate. You know, they、mm-hmm. can't just、uh, assume.、Mm-hmm. Uh, another point is like、uh, this is a, f- a story a friend of mine told me. She's from, she's from、uh, this area, Kumamoto. And her friend is from like Tohoku up in the north, and they both met at、uh, in Tokyo at their、uh, vocational school or whatever. And they're both trying to fix each other's Japanese. Like <laughs> th- that's not how you say it. This is how you say it. You're you're speaking you're speaking in your dialect, and they're both speaking in their own dialect, thinking <laughs> that their dialect is is.、Uh, National, nationally accepted,、mm-hmm. typical Japanese.、Uh, <laughs> so,、mm, I see. I、yeah. love how I got to work in my my theory about multicultural Japan <laughs> <laughs> into the story. All right. By the、so、way,、what? you know the, that some of that Daifugo、uh, rule convolution has leaked into Uno in Japan too. <laughs> Uno has its own rules here. I don't know that they're for the printed rules, but they're not. They're, they're not. yeah, they're、uh, the cultural rules, or that might also vary depending on area. I don't know. It's quite. I think like those Uno variations. I haven't seen a lot of variation, but like the the Japanese home rule house rule style、uh, is like. If you put down a seven, you can put down all the sevens、yeah. you have,、mm-hmm. or something like that, right? Yeah, I know that works that way in other sort of Asian Asian card games. So I, I basically, you know, I'm a rules lawyer, so like <laughs> I've I've trained the people around me. Like we're going by the the rules as they're printed, okay? Yeah, I mean, every time I play it with my my youngest daughter, there's a, a bit of disagreement because I insist <laughs> that it's fine to end with a wild card, and that's forbidden in the in the、uh, Japanese folk rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just funny、uh, because、uh, when you're、uh... oh man, I forgot where I was going to go. With <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's just funny because like I'll. I'll say these are the actual rules, and nobody will believe me. And I'll go, <laughs> "Have at it, take a read." And they're like, "You are correct." <laughs>、mm. Okay, so、uh, this story, this chapter,、uh, kind of has two chapters in it. So that's the end of the first chapter. So the first kind of half of chapter fifteen,、um, and you know, resolving that whole issue. So now we're kind of moving forward with the overall story,、uh, and Ed is explaining to Al and Hughes and Armstrong about you know what happened to him、uh, in the、uh, laboratory when he was,、uh, and he says the last thing he remembers is when Envy attacked him. He doesn't know that name, of course, but he's drawn a picture of Envy, right?、Uh, which is surprisingly accurate for as. As little time as he saw envy, but well, but they're mentioning the name, aren't they?、Um, he says, "I don't remember anything that happened after this guy kicked me." Because in Japanese、oh. it says "envy narumono." Okay, says, but but oh, you know, I see. Yeah, when Armstrong is talking, he does mention an individual named Envy. So right, right. Okay, so the name is here. Um and yeah. Armstrong is kind of recounting all of the points that Ed has just shared with them,、uh, 
Um, human souls trapped in artificial bodies used as guards, human sacrifice, and so on and so on. Um, and then there are drawings that they refer to as the Ouroboros tattoo in a transmutation circle for the Philosopher's Stone. Um, I did a little research on Ouroboros tattoo. I'm looking at a site called tattoodo.com, and this refers to it as a snake eating its own tail. But if you look at fma.fandom.com, it says that in this comic, it's a dragon eating its own tail. Well, it has wings. Uh-huh. So it seems to be kind of Arakawa's own variation on Ouroboros. Well, there's, uh, you know, if you if you know any, uh, a lot about, like, uh, worms and dragons and... Like they're all kind of snake, snake related. Mm -hmm. Like uh, in the popular mindset back then, is they're all like demon images, as far as like from the Western point of view. Mm. Um, and the Ouroboros is definitely like uh, the snake eating its own tail endlessly. Uh, like it's supposed to represent some kind of endless cycle. Or mm -hmm. um, I often. Uh, look at like the the Orin from uh, Neverending Story as the coolest type of Ouroboros, where it's two snakes mm. eating each other's tails. Mm, okay, which is pretty PG thirteen. <laughs> so dot says the Ouroboros is one of the oldest mystical symbols of the world. Its name originates from the Greek word words aura meaning tail and boros meaning eating. The Ouroboros symbol represents birth, death, and renewal, the infinite cycle of life. So, and um, I guess all of the homunculi except one uh, have these tattoos. Of course, every time Ouroboros comes up, I think of that, not just never-ending story, but also that show Millennium. Hmm. Uh, Chris Carter's show that he made after the X-Files. It does have a little bit of X-Files crossover in it, but the, there's this secret society, and I think that's their their symbol, and their, tr they're basically about ending the world so they can start it over. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, as they're all puzzling over these pieces... Um, and Armstrong comments, there are too many mysteries for this to be simply an experiment to produce the stone. Um, meanwhile, Ross and Brosh are in the hallway, and uh, Brosh says whatever they're discussing in there sounds really complicated, and Ross doesn't even want to hear what they're saying. She doesn't want to get involved. Uh, and then someone approaches, and they're incredibly shocked to see this person. <laughs> <laughs> this is not this is not actually though the reaction you want to do <laughs> <laughs> no not for but who, i understand the internal feeling i understand the internal feeling but you're not supposed to express it when hmm. this particular kind of person shows up yeah well it's a comic so it might <laughs> yeah. partially be just their in interior feeling being shown to us pictorially like a musical <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a musical and so this person walks into Ed's room, and it turns out to be Fuhrer President King Bradley. And, of course, they're all shocked, too, in various ways. I like 
Ed's face. His mouth is just like a, a diamond on a in uh, on a playing card. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, and even all... Armstrong, even Armstrong is like. <laughs> and Yikes. of all things, that he's he brings a melon for for Ed. Uh, and he says, uh, thanks. And then, ah, you can't be serious, which is presumably an internal thought. <laughs> and it's, you've got a, like, the more cartoony version of him turning away from sort of the regular looking Ed saying that. You know, this gift of a melon, for me, this is a very Japanese thing. Oh, yeah. You know, because uh, I mean, if you've had one of these expensive, like $80 melons, like it's they're so like sumptuous and they're so you know i mean just the the taste of japanese fruit is just to the max you know mm -hmm. like it's it's uh the watermelons are smaller and rounder and i thought what the heck is wrong with these watermelons but then you have one and it's like they've taken that whole all the sweetness of that huge watermelon they packed it nice and tight uh so that yeah. this whole like melon thing i think without a little bit of uh context is like what why you know but melon's really nice uh gift here for sure you know mm -hmm. like uh and if you look at the the kind of melons that uh that are sold here they look like they're illustrations of <laughs> beautifully perfectly round perfectly striated uh you know items instead of like our cantaloupes are kind of you know the striations aren't as strong and they're kind of, you know, uh, oddly shaped. But uh, so, yeah, just wanted yeah. to make it clear that okay. this is actually a, actually a good gift. <laughs> um, and then uh, Bradley starts asking questions about uh, Ed's, Ed and Al's kind of investigations and... As you're searching for the Philosopher's Stone, are you not? How much do you know? A great deal depends on your answer. And then <laughs> several silent panels and everybody's looking kind of sweaty. And then Bradley starts cracking up. Just kidding. Don't be so uptight. Um, and so he's aware that something's going on within the military. And all the researchers who were involved with the stone are... Uh, have disappeared uh just a few days before uh the lab was destroyed yeah and you know he's he's making it clear that there's uh whatever they're investigating is something that is is super important because uh you know he's how much do you know i mean that's <laughs> <laughs> you 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 only hear that in specific situations usually, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, and the guy who laughs by himself is, you know, he's automatically a badass. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Bradley tells them, you can't talk about this to anyone. Don't trust anyone and don't stick your neck in this matter any further. Um, although he says, when the time comes, I will call on you. So make sure that you are prepared. So they have to assume at the, for the moment that the entire military is the enemy outside of themselves. Mm. And then he sneaks out the window because he's running from his bodyguards. 
<laughs> it's a first floor window, fortunately. But. And then just walks off laughing to himself. <laughs> <laughs> and then Winry comes in and doesn't understand why everybody's staring out the window. <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? Even the two people standing outside are acting weird. And Ed says, oh, nothing. A storm just passed through. So she has bought the train tickets that he asked for to Dublin, which is a city in the south or town. And we don't know how big it is. And he doesn't say it on this page. It's a little bit later, but that's where their teacher is. Right. Is this the first time that we see a representation of the country or area that they live? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we've seen the whole country before, a map. I think they still haven't said the word amestris. Mm, no, I don't think so. But what's interesting is like you, uh, this kind of very round area. Oddly round country. Somewhat symmetrical. It, it reminds me of the, uh, of the book series turned into an NHK animation called uh, The Twelve Kingdoms. Mm, mm. And that's very symmetrical and very you know, like designed, you know, like there's no natural looking islands in that, uh, in that story. So it's, uh, this kind of reminds me of that kind of thing. Okay. So like, I wonder what's the purpose behind, uh, making such a simple, uh, you know, it's a circle, which is, has lots of meanings in this comic. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the Ouroboros circle and you have power circles or, mm. uh, to well, make, yeah, I think that question is partial, at least partially answered later. Um, yeah, but I've I've purged my memory of <laughs> my earlier readings so that we can come across like when we came across. Oh, that's why Rinri is important. We can actually put ourselves. Uh, well, I can put myself in the position of a first time reader. I'm the kind of guy that can. I've read the same mystery three times and always not sure exactly who the killer is till I get to like the last ten <laughs> percent. Mm, yeah, I'd like to be able to do that. I mean, I read some Agatha Christie, and I remember who the killers were in all of them. So, so you read the first chapter, and you're like, I know who did it, and then <laughs> you put it down. Um, and Winry sees that it's near Rush Valley, which is the automail engineer's mecca, where she's always wanted to go. So she begs to be included on the trip. How do we know it's not really Lush Valley? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Because it could be Lush Valley. Hmm. Yeah, well, I did see... Uh, we're not quite to the point where this comes up, but there's a, a place name in Full Metal that was rendered differently in the anime um, with the difference between L and R. It's This is a very interesting thing. It's like, uh, psychologically, uh, if you actually don't learn these sounds separately they do like occupy the same space in your mind mm-hmm. uh, once I can like you know of course I teach I, I focus on pronunciation a lot in my English lessons and one of the things that I kind of uh, discovered like once people can recognize that they're making different sounds then they start to actually hear the differences but until then it, it, they, it actually sounds the same to them Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, so, all right. So, Winry's going with them. And uh, Hughes comments, yep, she would make someone a great wife. Not as great as my wife, of course. 
<laughs> uh, don't tell me that and quit bragging. Yeah, it's that, you know, that not humble brag, but a different kind of, you know, <laughs> sneaky brag. Mm-hmm. It's got to slip it in. Um, so they're on the train. Al says, well, Ed and I did a lot of talking and we decided the best thing to do next would be to go visit our old teacher. Uh, and Ross and Brosh and Hughes's wife and Armstrong, oh, and Hughes's little daughter uh, are there. Uh, so Alicia is crying, uh, uh, I guess because Winry is leaving. She sees Winry waving from the window. Now, interesting thing here at the bottom of the page so we get these on the left side these tall narrow panels that are cut off of the same panel of the train pulling away kind of gives us the feeling of the passage of time that um of the beginning of the trip but then on the next page can you explain this to me there's a empty tall panel coming in off the top of the page, overlapping the next panel, the, the next scene. Well, see, I was going to actually draw attention to that. I didn't realize that uh, I kind of zipped by the fact that the uh, the previous page had those uh, those panels um, with the train. And, and the previous page, those panels don't actually don't actually work <laughs> because <laughs> because uh, the sun is in the exact same place. The train is in the exact same place. So mm, no so time, no, no time, time could passing. have passed. But right, the yeah, the sun page, is right there in, uh, on the cutoff between panels. That's right. So it's like, it's but smoke is blowing from the front of the train. So there's supposed to be movement. And so it actually is not working on that page. Mm. But on the next page, this is a... Often, I was just going to mention this because I I was just wondering how this would read for American comics readers because usually American comics readers get later dot 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 mm. <laughs> you know so this is what that is you know this is definitely a a uh, a marker for time being passed okay uh, and this has been used before I believe. Uh, I couldn't find it right away, but I'm definitely used before. I'm definitely used to this trope. Um, but I was just wondering how it would go over. Okay, yeah, I think it's one of those things like the black gutters that if you're used to American comics, I mean, I've read some manga, not very recently, um, but some of these things don't quite communicate if you don't have it explained to you, I think. Mm-hmm. I know there's some like uh, I'm looking for the word kegel. Like there's some symbols that are used, like when somebody expels a breath, like uh, like a like this kind of breath. They have like a yeah, the little a little puff light of air. Yeah, yeah, a little light bulb looking thing. Um, it's what would you what do you call that in English when you do that? <sighs> a sigh. A sigh. Yeah, a sigh side but in like the way that it's in japanese it's called tamike and it's mm-hmm. like uh it's like a breath that you've built up and then are kind of letting out out of like exhaustion or or frustration or something like this mm-hmm. and uh some people take that as like take offense to it you know like if you if you say something and they sigh to it you're like 
what? <laughs> what, uh-huh. what, are you, what are you complaining about? Mm, or, yeah, I've, I've had a tendency to sigh. So I don't know if I do it so much these days, but where people might think I was bored or something, and I was just <laughs> relaxing. My wife, when I was married, used to complain about it. But Now it all comes clear, Tim. <laughs> you, you're from a peanuts point of view, you know, where <laughs> sigh can have positive and negative connotations. And, yeah. So the... The next panel with that overlapping uh, tall, empty panel uh, is uh, apparently the library. And the word balloon floating there says riots in real. And although I don't think it was ever named at the time, real is where we started the story in chapter one uh, with Father Cornello. Okay, I didn't. I didn't know that. And uh, tie that together. Yeah, well, I I verified that on again uh, fma.fandom.com, <laughs> and this is the place where it says it's so in the manga real r e o l e um, in the two thousand nine anime l i o r e lior uh, and l i o r in two thousand three anime. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. And it's it's English dub. It says it was L I O L I O R. So, like, I'm glad you looked that up, but because I don't want to look stuff up on, <laughs> uh, on these sites because I've often like spoiled uh, endings by <laughs> I just want to check like what how is that guy related to that guy and then it's oh and he dies like this or like what. <laughs> Oh, mm, you know. yeah, yeah. When you haven't finished the story, that's dangerous. <laughs> did I already? Did I already told you the story. Like I went to see the exhibition of Full Metal Alchemist up in oh yeah uh, the Kyushu, mm-hmm. and uh, they basically have every page of the ori- of the last story. Yeah. Here's the last chapter. No, and I hadn't finished it yet. <laughs> so I was like, I wanted those horse blinders. <laughs> Um, and I think we had seen, maybe it was in volume two or so, that uh, that there were riots there after uh, Cornello uh, was basically, what? Cornello was killed by uh, lust, I believe. You're talking about figuratively or? No, no, no literally. <laughs> um, so there in the library, well, we see Sheska apparently sleeping in the background. Oh, I was wondering, I'm like, we're in the library, where is she? And uh, Hughes is there reading something, uh, looks like a newspaper, and he's talking with a a black soldier. We haven't seen black members in this military before. Oh, really? I don't think. Hmm. I think he's the first black character I've seen anywhere in this comic, but or at least the first one who had a speaking part. Um, and he is saying, yes, apparently there was some kind of cult in the area. That's Cornello's church. They were exposed as frauds, and the people turned against them. I hear everything's under control now. And Hughes says, huh, you're right. I guess he's looking at an article about it in the newspaper. Yeah, and he says, oh, man, look at the death toll. And they're talking about how there's been unrest in various parts of the country. And the soldier says, who knows? This could be the start of the revolution, eh? And something strikes Hughes about that and he stands up and there's a strange sound effect in the English clunk which I guess is his chair you don't actually see 
what's making the sound, but it's not really the chair being knocked over. That's just like standing up quickly and like slamming your hands on the on the desk. Okay. Yeah, I mean you you can't see what's making the sound. Yeah, yeah, it could be his hand striking the table. Yeah, that's how I read it, you know. Okay. So, yeah, so he goes to the records room and he's saying the Ishbel on Civil War, the riots in Rio, and hey, hey, what have we here? Who the hell would think up something like this? I need to tell the major and the president about this right away. Um, what is it? Who knows? Uh, and so as he says that, yeah, then Lust opens the door and it's slam in this case which is a very door-specific sound effect. That's quite clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she says, pleased to meet you, or should I say goodbye? And we see that uh, Ouroboros uh, above her breasts there, just below her neck. So we, we know that he knows, by seeing the tattoo and mentioning it, that he knows that he's dealing with uh, a dangerous individual. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, because it's just been brought up. Um, and she, you know, uses those sharp, extending fingers uh, to stab him in one or more places. But he has a knife that he throws at her, and looks like he, yeah, he goes out in the hallway. He made it, he bangs the door open as he's falling. Can I ask what the sound effect is for her nails coming out? Snick. Okay, I was wondering if they were going to go Wolverine. Yeah, snicked it. <laughs> oh. No T. But it's close. Because that, that snicked, that T, and the, even the K, it's kind of like the claws snapping into place, but like hers are like fully extended. So like in the Japanese, it doesn't have like a, a hard ending like that. It's just bashi, bashi. So mm -hmm. it's like... Uh, yeah, I was I was curious about that, you know. Mm -hmm. Of course I was. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the knife has hit her, like, between the eyes. And she heard Hughes in the hall saying, damn it. And she says, damn it. You took the words right out of my mouth. What is the damn it in Japanese? Is it chikusho? Yeah, it's kuso. kuso. It's uh, kuso? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were the desk work type, but it seems that arm of yours is good for more than just pushing paper. Uh, and so he walks past uh, that uh, young woman in the military who he was talking with in the previous chapter who didn't want to hear about his wife and daughter again. Uh, and she notices that he's bleeding, but he says, it's nothing, I need to use the phone. And he picks up the phone... And then he thinks better of it and puts it back down. I guess he's thinking he doesn't want to say it, in whatever it is he wants to say, in front of other people. It's not clear yet. I mean, I th I'm sure it's supposed to be a little mysterious at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he goes out to a payphone uh, to call Roy Mustang and... There's a delay here because they don't. They have a policy of not co connecting calls from an outside line, um, and he has to give the password and everything. And he drops a photo of himself and his wife and daughter, which is super symbolic. Uh, as someone comes along and steps on it, and we see that it, it's apparently uh, Ross. 
uh, whose first name is Maria. I don't know if we knew that before. She's got a gun on him and says, please hang up the phone, Lieutenant Colonel. And he realizes that's not her because she has a mole under her left eye, the real Ross would. And sure enough, if you go back and check, she's always been drawn with that mole. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, up until now, we might have just thought that it was a stray spot of ink. So uh, she's able to then generate the mole, uh, and he's shocked to see that. Yeah, and he's yeah he's kind of reeling with uh, reeling with the uh, realization that someone is able to pretend to be his subordinate. Um, but yeah, she still got the gun on him, and he says, "Give me a break! I've got a wife and kid waiting for me at home." And he whips out a knife and says, "I can't afford to die yet." But then um, apparently, this is still lust. Uh, turns into his wife. Uh, you wouldn't stab your own wife, would you? This is very similar to the first episode of Star Trek, which I just watched today at lunch. <laughs> the Man Trap. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not going to nitpick. Man but, Trap. Okay, the first, uh, the first non-pilot. Yeah, this is the first broadcast episode. episode. Yeah. Correct, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you wouldn't stab your own wife, would you? Pretty good acting, huh, Lieutenant Colonel Hughes? He, so we have, it says, oh my good. And then it as you go down this tall, narrow panel, it changes from black to white, and the phone is ringing. And Mustang is answering it, and... Uh, there's an operator saying there's a call for you, or, an op or a secretary maybe, or some, we're not sure, saying there's a call for you on an outside line from Lieutenant Colonel Hughes. Uh, and when he's put on the line, Mustang says, I don't want to hear any more about your family, but there's no answer. And we see Hughes is uh, lying in a pool of blood in the phone booth. Can I just go back for one sec? What what what's the epithet being uttered in the in the black to white panel? Just oh my good. Really? Yeah. It it's definitely more of an like asshole kind of. Like, <laughs> what is it in Japanese? Kusotare. Hmm. Okay. Which uh, translated like directly is dripping shit, but it's <laughs> but it's like you know it's you you'd say like asshole basically, is I think about the right level. Mm-hmm. Well, now, is that... Who is saying that? No, I think it's Hughes. Okay. I think it's Hughes uh, in regards to Lust is saying that. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's how I took it as the oh my good. But, um, yeah, the, the Japanese version, I'm having a little trouble fitting that in, so... Okay. Oh, it's it's definitely a lot more macho than oh my god. <laughs> that you know the the original epithet is definitely more he, in line with Hughes's character, in my opinion. Mm, okay. Um, all right. So our cliffhanger is uh, is Hughes alive or dead, and uh, what did he find out or figure out? 
So tune in next time. (laughs) (laughs) Same Full Metal channel. (laughs) Same Full Metal comic series. (laughs) Okay. So um, thanks for listening. And you know, the law of equivalent exchange means... You get what you pay for. Okay. See you next time. Next time. Our theme is Cryosyncope by Winterfiend. You can follow us on Twitter at LOEE Podcast or email us at LOEE Podcast at DeconstructingComics.com. Support our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash deconcomics. See you in two weeks. The Law of Equivalent Exchange is a production of DeconstructingComics.com. And um, I guess all of the homunculi except one uh, have these tattoos. Uh, What, the only one who doesn't is... Ooh, um... I don't know. So far, I've, I've noticed it on the ones that have shown up, I believe. Right. You know, we haven't seen them all yet. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe we'll, we should save that revelation. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't remember now. I've, I've, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs>